If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 4, 18 to 31. We are continuing to move along through the book of Exodus. And uh, the book of Exodus was one of the books that God wrote through the hands of Moses. And uh, he did that in order to help Israel, uh, really the, uh, the second generation, the, the children of the Israelites who had escaped from Egypt, who had been let out of Egypt. He, to, he wrote these things to help them to understand who they were, to help figure out who they were, to help them understand what it means to live day by day in light of the fact that God is real and that he is good and that he loves them and that he calls them to a, a certain way of, of life. And... Uh, so far, the last, the last couple times we've looked at this, we've seen how God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and, and he said, uh, Moses, I've, I've heard the groaning of my people in, in Egypt and I'm going to rescue them. I've come down to, to bring them out, to, to set them free. And, and you, Moses, are going to go down there and, and bring them out. Okay, you're going to be the person that goes down there and leads them out of Egypt. And, and uh, last week we saw how Moses did everything he could to try to get out of the job. He tried to argue with God over and over and over again, finally just saying, God, please send somebody else. And God just patiently continues to show Moses encouragement and grace. He says, no, you're going to do it. You are going to do it. And this next passage we're going to look at it kind of functions as a bridge between the kind of the, the setting the stage part in Exodus and the part where Moses actually goes and, and, uh, and then kind of God does battle with Pharaoh and then rescues the people and brings them out. And so this kind of brings up some different themes that we're going to be seeing. Um, but uh, as much as anything, it, it kind of continues to answer this question for the people who are reading it, for the Israelites and, and for us, you know, who are we? What should define us? What should characterize us? as God's people. And just, just to warn you, this passage, if you didn't look at the Thursday email and read ahead, this, this isn't for the squeamish, you know, this might be a, kind of a PG-13 rating. So uh, listen to God's word as I read from Exodus 4, 18 to 31. It's printed in your order of worship. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, my, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs to the, in the sight of the people. 
And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes in wonder at who you are, at what you've done for us, at who you call us to be. Father, we pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see here in this passage, that your truth would shine forth, and that your spirit would take your truth and apply it to our hearts, and that we would become different. That we would become different people, that we would become the people that, just a little bit more, the people that you created us to be. Father, we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's funny the things that you remember from when you were growing up. You know, the things that are vivid in your memory. I don't remember a lot of things from when I was growing up, and especially I don't remember a lot of things that people said to me when I was growing up. But there's one thing that I do remember vividly. There's one statement that somebody said to me. My uh, basketball uh, counselor, the counselor at my basketball camp in high school, when I was a sophomore in high school, I went to a sleepaway camp a couple of years, and, and this was a guy, I think he was probably like, older in, co- like in college, but older. And, and uh, I, I looked up to him. I, he was a really good player, and, and uh, he, was a, he was a pretty cool guy. But, but one night, my friend and I, along with a bunch of other kids, kind of got out of our rooms after lights out. You know, we were all staying in these dorms. So we were running around campus. And so the counselors all had to, like, hunt us down and, and gather us up. And, and, and this one counselor found me and my friend and, and uh, my roommate. And, and so I just remember him, him walking us back to the dorm, and he put his arms around us, and he just said to us, you guys are a couple of meatheads. <laughs> Vividly, I, I remember his words so clearly. You guys are a couple of meatheads. And you know, I didn't think about it like actively, clearly, like at the forefront of my mind that he would called us meatheads, but like subconsciously, I think that, that shaped a little bit of who I became. I was like, do I really want to be a meathead? Do I want to def- let my life be defined by the fact that I'm a meathead? <laughs> what is a meathead anyways? <laughs> it's not good, that's right. <laughs> that's right, it is not good. And, and so, you know, that's, but that's what a lot of, you know, teenagers are, are constantly trying to figure out who they are, right? They're trying to figure out, like, what defines them as people. And, and in a lot of ways, they, the teenagers do, like, these, they work really hard. And, and, you know, even younger than that, they work really hard and, and do, um, you know, they, they try to become really great uh, athletes or, or they get really good at, at, uh, at academics or they, you know, try to, you know, be really popular. And they're trying to constantly try to figure out who am I, what defines me. And that doesn't really change once you leave, you know, uh, high school, as you get older. We're, we're all constantly trying to figure out who we are as adults, I think. Things, especially things happen in our lives that, we, that, that maybe are unexpected. And, and we're like, you know, we're, it forces us to kind of reevaluate what defines me, who am I. I've mentioned this before, but this book was written to the second generation of the Israelites. I mentioned, just mentioned that. Um, and, and one of the things that's important for God to help them figure out is, is what would or should define them as a people. Um, I think this book was written to help them figure out who they were. I, I've mentioned that before. And in this, in this point in Moses' life, I think Moses, maybe he had gotten comfortable. He's 80 years old at this point, right? He left Egypt when he was 40, so he's, he's been living in Midian, kind of acting as a, a shepherd for the last 40 years, and then this happened. God shows up, and he's probably all of a sudden starting to rethink, who am I, as God sends him back to Egypt, right? And so Moses himself is kind of reevaluating and trying to figure out who he is. And so in this 
passage, I think what I, I'm, I'm not going to cover all the details of this passage. I'm not even going to come close. But I just want to point to a few things that God says, this is what I want to define you. As the people are reading this passage, the Israelites are reading this passage, as we read this passage, these are some things that, that, God wants to, that I want to highlight, that God wants to say, this is what I, what I think needs to define you and your life, what needs to characterize you as you figure out who you are in your life. Okay? So the first thing I think that God wants to remind them and us of is that we must be defined by a calling. We must be defined by a calling. When God gives Moses his instructions in verses 21 to 23, if you look at 21 to 23, God says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, why does he tell him to let him go? That he may serve me. Let my son go, that he may serve me. That is the whole point, the ultimate point of God rescuing his people. It's not purely to set them free from the oppression, it's to, it's to bring them out so that they could serve God. So that they could worship God. I mentioned this uh, a little while ago in the, when we were looking at the first chapter. This word serve, uh, it translates a Hebrew word avad. And, um, and so in the first chapter, it talked about how the, the Egyptians were, were forcing the, the Israelites to serve them. And, and it repeated that word over and over again. And here we see God saying, I'm, I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to set them free so that they can serve me. That is what they were made for. That is why God is saving them. That is, their, that is their ultimate purpose in life is to serve the true God, the true master. That is their calling, and that is our calling as well. And you, and you see them kind of affirming that. The, the word avad can also be translated worship. Um, at the end of the passage that we read, that's not the word he uses, but he does affirm this kind of posture as the people hear, you know, when they, they hear that Moses has come back, um, they hear that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he'd seen their affliction. At the very end, it says they bowed their heads and worshipped. Right? This is the ultimate posture of, of all people that God has created, but especially his people. That we are to be people who live our lives to worship him. That we live our lives to serve him. That that is the grid through which we look at everything in our lives. Um, there, there are a lot of organizations, and, and, and it's, it's very um, popular for churches today and, and other organizations to come up with like vision statements, right? And, and the reason they have a vision statement is so that they can kind of f- figure out, you know, is everything that we're doing matching up with what we feel like we're called to do as an organization? That's why, you know, we, I don't do a really very good job of it to kind of reinforce this, but, but like the vision statement of Hope Church is, is that we are called to be, uh, because of Jesus Christ, that we're called to be people who encounter the real God in our daily lives, who, who are enabled to be real with one another and who are able to take real risks. And so the idea is that we're supposed to kind of think about, it's, it's all the ministries, it's all that we're doing kind of fitting in with this vision, this is the ultimate vision of every single person that comes to know God, is that they are called to serve him. We are called to serve him. There's all sorts of philosophies about what life's, uh, for people, about what life's about. You know, like, do what makes you happy. You know? Do what makes you most fulfilled. Um, do, do what can like, bring you the most joy. You know, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the world kind of tells us. Um, but God says, no, your ultimate purpose, your calling in life, is to serve him. It's to serve him. 
And yes, I believe that serving him does, as a side effect, bring happiness and joy and fulfillment. But this is our ultimate calling, to serve him. And so this is the question we need to continually ask ourselves. You know, Is the way that I am inter- interacting and relating with my family, am, am I doing it in such a way that it helps us all, helps me and helps us all to serve God? Is the way that I'm doing my work, does my job enable me to serve God? If, if the work that I'm doing, if the job that I'm working in does not enable me to serve God, then I either, either need to think about doing something else or I need to think about doing my job differently. When we wake up in the morning, we are often thinking about, you know, what, what is, what, what's my agenda? What do I want to do? How many of us wake up and think about what does God want me to do? How can I serve him today in the circumstances that I'm that I'm in. Is Sarah okay? Do we need to check on her? You want to check on her? Thanks. We'll keep going. If you need to stop, let me know. All right? And so that's what we need to constantly be thinking about. How, how has God called me to serve him? The second thing I want to highlight is that, uh, they are, that God calls his people to be defined as his children. And not just any children, but God's children. And not just God's children, but his firstborn sons. His firstborn sons. This is how God feels about his people. The firstborn son in that culture was, was one who was, uh, f- experienced God's, or, or the family's favor in a unique way, experienced the blessing of the family in a unique way, experienced the inheritance. He was the one that was chosen to represent the family in all sorts of different areas. And so... This is what Israel's calling is, to live as God's firstborn son. And what does that mean for us? It means that we are called to to represent and to rest. Number one, that that we are called as God's people, as his firstborn sons, to represent him in every area of life. Again, it's kind of similar to the calling that we're called to serve him. But we need to remember that, that every room that we walk into, we are representing not ourselves first and foremost, but we're representing God. When you walk into work, when you walk into the conference room, you are representing God. When you're going on a business trip, yes, you're representing your company, you're representing your organization, but you're representing first and foremost God. When you're a student, as you walk into school, you're representing God. His interests, his desires, what he wants. This is a core part of how we are supposed to define ourselves as, as God's people, that we represent him in every arena of life but we're also called to rest in who he is. If, if we're defining ourselves, in, uh, ourselves as God's firstborn sons, then we are called to rest in the fact that he delights in us, that we have his favor, that we have his blessing. He says this, Israel is my firstborn son. Sonship is a, is a theme that, that runs throughout the entire Bible and it's developed much more in the New Testament, but this is the very first time that it's mentioned in the Old Testament. God says, Israel, my people, are my firstborn son. They are a treasure to me. Right? He says, this is how he feels so strongly about Israel as his, as his children, as his firstborn son. He says, um, he says say, to Sarah, if, 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 say to Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn son go, I am going to kill your firstborn son. That's how intense God's desire is for his people. His love is for his people. Think about, as, as you look forward to the, the final plague, is, is the Pharaoh and, and the rest of the people of Egypt losing their firstborn sons, right? And how awful that was, how, how much anguish that created in people. That's how, that's how painful it would be for God to lose you and me, his people. We are a treasure to him. We are priceless to him. And we need to rest in that. We need to learn to rest in that. 
And lastly, they need, we need to be defined by the covenant. And here it gets kind of strange, right? It gets a little strange in the passage in verses 24 to 26. Moses and his wife Zipporah are on their way to Egypt, right? But then it says uh, in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What, what is he doing? He's, he's seeking to put... We're, we're not really sure who the him is. It's, uh, as I read it, I think it's probably Moses. It could be Moses' son. Um, some translations just insert Moses here, but we're not totally sure. As I read it, it seems like it's Moses. But it seems like Moses and his family is, is experiencing the judgment of God. God wants to bring judgment against Moses. He's going to kill Moses, potentially. I don't know if Moses is in some kind of uh, fitful sleep and he's got a fever or what. But Moses is on the verge of death. And what, th- there's, there's sorts of, all sorts of questions that, that, we can, uh, that, that, that this, these verses bring up. And if anybody is interested, I'll, I'd be happy to meet with them this week and, and we can have a little Bible study where we just list all of the questions that come up because of this passage. We're not going to talk about any answers. We're just going to talk about all the questions. But I just want to point to the major things about what this teaches us, okay? So Moses is on the verge of death. Potentially Moses or his son is on the verge of death because God is potentially bringing his judgment against him, right? What rescues him from death? What averts God's judgment? Zipporah, his wife, takes a flint and cuts off her son's foreskin. She circumcises their son. And he's better. He lives. So somehow circumcision was the answer to what the, the judgment that Moses and his family was facing, Okay? So why is it? Why is it? What's he trying to teach us? Why is circumcision so important? Why is it so important that circumcision is the answer to God's anger towards Moses? Right? Well, what was the point of circumcision? I'd encourage you guys, if you want to learn more about circumcision, go back to Genesis 17 and read Genesis 17. That's when God first tells Abraham to circumcise himself and his children. Right? But circumcision was, in Genesis 17, he says circumcision is to be the sign of the covenant that I make with you, okay? That's what circumcision was for, for Abraham and his children and for the Israelites. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. What does that mean? Well, the covenant is, is a way to describe the fact that God had committed himself to Abraham and his family. God had promised to do all of these amazing things to Abraham. He promised to, to, to give him land and to bless him and to make him a blessing in the world, and he promised to give him children, and to make him into a great nation, right? God made all of these promises, and, say, and God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to do this. So God makes all of these promises. That's what this covenant is all about. And you know what God asks Abraham to do? He doesn't give Abraham a, a list of things that he has to do. He gives Abraham one thing to do. Have you ever seen those memes that said, you had one job? You had one job. It was just, I just saw one that it's like a, a street that has like a double yellow line and there's one straight line and the other line goes like this. It said, you had one job. God gave Abraham and his descendants one job having to do with this covenant, this, these promises that God had made to Abraham. He said, I want you to, to circumcise yourself and circumcise your sons and every male in your household and I want them to continue circumcising their sons after that because circumcision is going to be the, the sign, the symbol of my promises to you. That seems kind of strange. It seems kind of a strange symbol, right, for God's promises to his people. Um, I did a whole sermon on this like uh, over 10 years ago. So if you want, to, you, if you want more information, I can, I can send you that manuscript. But, but let me just give you one highlight of the sermon. 
Um, back then, there were a lot of cultures that, that circumcised their boys. And the, the point when they circumcised their boys was often at puberty or before they got married. Because circumcision, they believed, had something to do with fertility. That, that circumcision was kind of like a sign that, that, that they would be more fertile and have more children. Okay? That kind of makes sense, right? And so, you know when God told Abraham to be circumcised? Abraham was 99 years old. And Abraham had received God's promise that he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to have children. And so Abraham is beyond the point of having children. And then God says, I want you to get circumcised. Can you imagine what his friends were saying? Oh, you're getting circumcised, Abraham? Don't you know that you're kind of past your prime? And so the circumcision was actually a sign of God's power and Abraham's helplessness. Abraham's inability and God's promise to fulfill what he was going to do. That's what the covenant is all about. God's promise to fulfill what he's going to do in spite of our helplessness, in spite of the fact that we are incapable of doing it. And so the fact that Moses had not circumcised his son reflects the fact that maybe Moses, Moses had been called by God to go to Egypt and lead the people out, but, but Moses wasn't thinking in these terms. Moses wasn't thinking, he, he wasn't raising his kids to, to remind themselves of the fact that their lives depended on God's power and not their own. Does that make sense? The fact that Moses had not circumcised his son meant that he had not done the one thing God had told them to do to remind themselves of his promises. And so it was better for Moses to die than to continue going to Egypt and, and, and live forgetting the fact that it's God's power that's going to bring success. And that is what needs to define us as well. This is crucial. I need to define myself not by what I can do, not by what I'm able to do every day in my life, but, but I need to define myself by the fact that God has committed himself to me, that God has promised to love me, that God is strong enough to take care of me and use me and work in my life. If I define myself in this way, it moves me towards humility and away from pride. It moves me towards dependence and away from independence. What needs to be at the forefront of my mind is that I am helpless and utterly dependent on who God is and what he has promised to do for me. I need to live every day of my life keenly aware of this. And this message reaches its climax in the person of Jesus Christ. You see that. Do you see that? Do you see there, there, there are even hints of, of Jesus and his work even in this passage right here? I mentioned that the first time that the people of God are called God's firstborn son are right here in Exodus. And, and Israel, through the rest of the Old Testament, is at points referred to as God's firstborn son. But over and over again, Israel continued to fail. They were never the perfect son that God called them to be. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus Christ came and he was the perfect son the perfect son that Israel could not be, that we cannot be. And Jesus perfectly obeyed his father, perfectly served his father, perfectly worshipped his father. And yet, all of that obedience brought him where? It brought him to the cross where he died, where he shed his blood for us. And, and, the, and, and kind of the, the cool foreshadowing here is, is how is Moses and his son potentially saved here? How do they avert God's judgment? by the act of someone else. Moses is helpless here. And Zipporah, his wife, comes and does something to rescue him. 
right? Again, that is the only way that any of us can be saved. The only way that any of us can know that God loves us is not because we are capable of making God, God love us or enticing him to love us more, but because of what someone else has done for us, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because of the bloody sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. That is why we have hope that God will fulfill every single one of his promises for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises throughout the Old Testament. He is the yes and amen to every single one of God's promises. And it's because of Christ that, that we can now know that we are God's children, that he loves us just as much as he loves his own son. Jesus, the firstborn son of God. How much does God love Jesus? That's how much he loves you if you've received what Christ has done for you. And so we need to define ourselves by, by the covenant, by God's promises to us, by what he is able to do, not by what we can do. By our status as his children, as his representatives, as, 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 as ones who are deeply loved and treasured by him and who are called to serve him in every aspect of life. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. We need you uh, to show us the wonders of your love for us. We need you to help us to, to rethink how we see ourselves, that we would see ourselves first and foremost as your children, as your firstborn sons, as ones who are privileged, as ones who are blessed as ones who can count on our inheritance in you. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to define ourselves not by what we are able to do, not by our achievements, not by what we think we can accomplish in our own strength, but by what you have accomplished for us because of your promises. Father, Moses' only hope in success as he went to Egypt was because you had promised to care for your people. We pray that you would help us to, to move through our lives with that same confidence, with that same awareness. That we are treasured, we are your treasured possession, we are your children because the man of sorrows has come and sacrificed himself for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to celebrate communion, let's sing together. Sin of man and